Welcome to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This is your host, Frank Congelos. Pleasure to be with you this week. Through the month of May, we've been focusing predominantly on Family Wellness and Older Americans Month. So with that theme throughout the course of this month, I'd like to welcome our guest this week, Michael Kanarek, attorney at law over at Kanarek and Kanarek. Michael, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, Frank. It's a pleasure to be here. So, you know, Proverbs tells us that the good leave an inheritance to their children's children, but the wealth of a sinner is stored up for the just. And, you know, what we're really talking about here is the fact that, you know, we want to be good stewards of everything that we have in our life. We want to plan our finances properly. And as we're dealing with Elder Americans Month, one of the things that my biggest focus really is on when we're doing this is really to be respectful, um, to make sure that if this is um, a conversation that you're having with your parents or if you're a parent that wants to have this conversation with your children, we want to give you the facts so that you can really help one another in this planning process. So with that in mind, our focus today is what should people be doing, older Americans, as it relates to their estate planning? And Michael happens to be a truly expert and gifted individual in the area of of estate and tax planning. So, Mike, maybe you could start out by just talking a little bit about what older Americans or any Americans should be doing as it relates to their estate planning in today's environment, because over the course of years, we've gone through a lot of tax law changes. New Jersey's different than everybody else. Maybe you can just kind of give us an overview as to your thoughts and what should people be doing. So, Mike? Sure. Um, One thing I think, you know, the most important thing would be to make sure that your estate planning documents are in order. Uh, When I say estate planning documents, I'm talking about the basic documents of wills, powers of attorney, living wills, and health care proxies. you know, in addition to that, there's more advanced estate planning documents for for higher net worth individuals. But at a minimum, I think everyone should have uh, their wills, powers of attorney, and living wills drafted. Now, Mike, when you're talking about having those documents, you know, drafted, making sure they're in place, and so forth, there's a lot of people that I've seen over the years that you know, you know they go into the draw, you know, it's that junk draw sometimes, or they pull out the you know the file cabinet. Sometimes these envelopes haven't been opened since they were last signed. And these documents can be rather old, some of them. So how often should these documents be reviewed? How often should they be updated and why? Yeah. Um, you know, documents, it's, it probably depends on the situation. Uh, everyone has is in a different spot. I mean, people, documents should be changed or reviewed for potential tax law changes, which, as Frank just mentioned, we've, we've had many of them. Um, Changes in the family situation is another reason. So someone that's had major life changes would probably update it sooner than someone that hasn't. But I think, you know, reviewing it at least every few years is, is a good idea. And uh, as you just mentioned, the number of tax law changes we've gone through recently really warrants anybody that hasn't looked at their wills in the last several years to, to take a look at them. So, Mike, you, know, you mentioned, you know, the, you know, the tax laws and so forth. And I know that you've got a master's in taxation and you really, you know, spent a lot of your – time, you know, in planning with people and helping them set up their documents. What does the tax environment look like on both a federal and a state level for our, our listeners in New Jersey and New York? What does it look like for them from a tax standpoint? Do they have to be concerned about taxes? Is it an issue, not an issue? I think uh, in, in recent years, the federal estate tax law has become so taxpayer favorable that many people feel like they don't need to do any estate tax planning any longer. Uh, The federal uh, exemption 
uh, for people that die in 2014 is now at $5.34 million per person. And with what they call portability, it's actually $10.68 million per couple. So the surviving spouse of a, of a married couple can leave double the exemption or $10.68 million. Uh, this would then cover most uh, people, and therefore they feel like they don't need any tax planning. Having said that, the state of New Jersey has the lowest estate tax exemption in the entire country at $675,000. So people that hear, oh, the, the laws are so favorable towards taxpayers now, you have to have millions upon millions of dollars to have an estate tax problem, that's true federally. But that's not necessarily true in New Jersey. So uh, I think it should be a, a bigger concern for people that live in New Jersey than, than people might think. You know, Mike, it's interesting when you say that. And I, and I agree 100 percent with you with regard to the federal side. You know, we're talking about the top 1 percent of the population. And you know, the other 99 percent of the rest of us, for the most part, are you know, under the exemption. But when we deal with the state of New Jersey, um, most people would look at that and they go, well, that's not really a big deal. Or, you know, how do we get to that number? And when I say, how do we get to that number? What's really considered a part of their estate when you say that? Everything. Everything's a part of your estate for tax purposes. So, um, you know, again, I, I meet with a lot of clients who think that they don't have a sizable estate. And then when we walk through the assets and we say, oh, how much is your home worth and how much is in your retirement accounts and how much life insurance is on your life, when you add all those numbers up, it, it, it hits over 675 rather quickly. And, and it turns out that most people end up in the over 675 category after fa factoring in everything. You know, it's interesting because one of the words that you said there and one of the, you know, the assets is insurance. And the reason why I bring that one up is because when we think of, you know, I follow a financial statement. My financial statement will show my house, my retirement accounts, investments, and so forth. But the face amount of my insurance doesn't sit there. And so when I do an estate tax return or when you're doing something like that, if I were to take on top of that whatever the face amount of the insurance is, that's what's getting added to the estate. Am I correct in that, Mike? Absolutely correct. Very good. So, Mike, with that in mind, so if the number then is 675000 what is it that people should be giving some thought to as to how to plan around that? And by the way, maybe you can just kind of explain how that tax works between a husband and wife and then maybe if they have children. Is it a relevant thing between spouses or where does it actually start coming in and being a factor? Yeah, sure. That, that's, that's a good point, Frank. Uh, both the federal and state state tax laws include what they call an unlimited marital deduction. What that means is that spouses have the ability to pass assets to each other free of tax regardless of the amount. So I want to be clear that if, if the first spouse dies and everything passes to the surviving spouse, even if it's a few million dollars, there's not going to be a New Jersey estate tax. The problem would occur at the second death when that surviving spouse ultimately passes the assets down to the children. And then if that's over $675,000, that's where your estate tax kicks in. Uh, some things to think about, some things you can do. You know, one thing that I talk about with my clients when we put wills together is to include what we call disclaimer provisions in the will that would allow the surviving spouse to what we call disclaim an asset. In other words, even though they're entitled to receive it under the will of the first spouse to die, they file some paperwork saying that they don't want to receive it. The reason that they don't want to receive it would be that it creates uh, their it causes their estate to become lower, and thus at their death it would become uh, less 
of a New Jersey estate tax or no New Jersey estate tax, depending on how low we can get their estate. Uh, some people might say, well, I th you know, why would someone want to not accept an asset? There are provisions we could put in a will where even though they're not accepting the asset and it won't go into their name, it could pass to a trust for their benefit that they have control over. So they're not really giving up the use and control over the asset, but we're, give, we're taking it out of their name for estate tax purposes. So that's, that's one major thing I talk to all my clients about when putting wills together. You know, n another thing to consider is, is gifting. Um, the state of New Jersey does not have a gift tax. So we can give away to children or to trusts for the spouse uh, an unlimited number of assets in New Jersey, you are going to be subject to the federal gift tax if you exceed the federal exemption, again, of $5.34 million. But anything less than that, you can give away without having a federal estate tax, and you can give away without having a New Jersey estate tax because New Jersey doesn't have an estate tax. So, Mike, from what I'm hearing from you is, is that by doing some planning and perhaps using some gifting and some trust provisions with a well-drafted trust done by someone who knows what they're doing, someone yourself, it's feasible to uh, disassociate yourself with the ownership of the asset so that I don't say that I own it, so I'm not taxed there. But on the other side of that is I may still have some beneficial enjoyment or my spouse might have beneficial enjoyment in the asset, meaning that my wife Diane, as an example, if, you know, if I move something, I gift it into a trust for her benefit, you know, we're married and so forth, so that money's there. She can get income in it, you know, for her health and her maintenance and all those other things. So that effectively what I've done is some of my estate planning, okay, or some tax planning around the state of New Jersey as it relates to trying to minimize what the effect of taxes would be to my kids down the road. Exactly right. You know, and, and again, to be clear, the trust would be, as you pointed out, for the benefit of the spouse, not for the benefit of yourself. That's in, if it's for the benefit of yourself, then it would end up being included in the estate later on. But for the benefit of your spouse, uh, that's correct. You can, she can continue to maintain use and control over the asset, and it won't be included in either your estate or her estate for New Jersey estate tax purposes. Uh, I, I want to make one more comment. Um, we, we always have to be careful when gifting assets away because of the income tax consequences of gifting, not that gifting creates uh, an income tax due. However, if you pass an asset upon your death, uh, the asset gets passed with what they call a step-up in basis. So the beneficiaries of the asset uh, receive a step-up in basis, and when they go to sell the asset later on, their gift tax, uh, their income tax consequences would be uh, you know, small or none, depending on how long they hold on to the asset for. Whereas if you gift the asset during life, then you get then they inherit with a carryover basis, which potentially has worse income tax consequences. So, whenever doing any of these strategies about gifting money during your lifetime or using trusts, it's always important to look at not only the estate tax piece but also the income tax piece. Uh, and obviously, a, you know, a qualified attorney would be able to guide you through those kind of things. That's a great point, Mike. And that, and that was the reason why when we were talking about having someone on this topic, you know, I, I knew your background as far as. In, having your master's in taxation and the estate planning, and well, I figured you'd be the person to talk to about that. So appreciate that insight. You know, as we're talking about assets and how they're passing, maybe we could just take a few minutes and review for our listeners how do assets actually pass. And the reason why I say that is, um, you know, if 
one of our listeners was to go to their attorney who they've known for years who did their real estate closings and things like that and say, hey, I just want to, you know, make some moves here. The reality is, is that, you know, it's important to understand that not assets all pass through the will. In fact, as, as you were saying that before, I was thinking, well, if somebody had a large retirement account, that might be difficult to transfer to a spouse or impossible to do. Maybe you could take a few minutes and address that a little, Mike. Yeah, there, there's uh, – assets fall under two categories generally. There's probate assets, and those assets pass pursuant to a will. And then there's non-probate assets, and those assets pro, uh, pass pursuant to something else, uh, either by operation of law or pursuant to some other uh, instrument, generally a beneficiary designation so, for example, jointly held assets passed by operation of law to the surviving joint tenant. I could have a will that says I leave everything to my wife, but if I own property jointly with a child, well, that property at my death would pass directly to the child and would skip my wife. Um, in addition to that, things like life insurance will generally pass by beneficiary designation. Things like retirement plan assets will generally pass by beneficiary designation. Many people say, oh, what's the difference? My will says it goes to my kids. My beneficiary designation says it goes to my kids. You know, a lot of times in the will, I'll sit down with someone and create a plan where we use trust for the benefit of the kids, either because they're minors and they're, they shouldn't inherit assets and we want to hold the assets in trust until they attain older ages, uh, or there might be a special needs situation where we're using trust. Or we might use trust for control purposes. We might use trust for protection purposes. Uh, a child uh, that you know is potentially going to get sued or divorced, uh, using trust for that child would protect the child. So we set the will up to have those trusts in there, and then the beneficiary of the insurance is the child directly. Well, the insurance company doesn't really care that you've created this plan inside your will to hold the money in trust for your child for various reasons. If a child's name is a direct beneficiary of a life insurance policy, that child's getting a check and all the planning goes out the window. So it's really, really important that the non-probate assets be coordinated with the estate plan. And so when we look at that, you know, to me, that gets into what I call the common mistakes that we often see that people are making. So it sounds like one of the biggest mistakes is having a will that says one thing and then having the way that your assets pass, which is outside of probate, doing another thing. Absolutely. That's it. And, we see, and, and, and it's so common, I would say it, it happens like 90-something percent of the time that the beneficiary designations on, on the assets don't. Uh, equate with what the will says. Very good. What other mistakes are you seeing that's common in the marketplace today or, you know, when you come to planning with people? What are you seeing around, just so our, our listeners have kind of an eye open to make sure that they can be aware? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest one is something I had touched on previously, which is the tax planning piece. I had mentioned earlier the use of the uh, disclaimer in the will, allowing the surviving spouse to disclaim assets into a trust for their own benefit. Now, you don't need a will to be able to disclaim an asset. You have the right to disclaim an asset regardless. What you need the will piece for is to say that what happens when that asset is disclaimed, you want it to go to a trust for the benefit of the surviving spouse as opposed direct, uh, to the kids directly. So the, the lack of tax planning uh, in, in the wills is something that we see all the time. And again, in New Jersey with a $675,000 exemption, if someone has, you know, a million, a million two, a million three of assets, through these disclaimer provisions, we can 
pass the whole thing tax-free, but because people don't use them, uh, you know, you end up paying a well, New Jersey estate tax. Well, it helps the state of New Jersey because we need the money there, you know, <laughs> if you listen to our governor. Yeah, that's, that, that's true. <laughs> but we don't want to do more than our fair share. So we're not saying anything that people should be avoiding. What we're saying is, is if you have the opportunity that you can save some taxes, you'd naturally want to take advantage of that. For all of our listeners, you've been listening to Discovering Responsible Wealth. This has been Frank Congelos, your host, with our guest, Michael Kanarek of Kanarek and Kanarek. And as we wrap up our show, we wish all of our listeners who are celebrating Mother's Day a happy Mother's Day. And for all of those who, you know, just thinking of your moms over the weekend, praying for them and have truly blessed week. Any questions, you can email us at info at ifrw.com.